How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Uh, thank you, Mark. And it was so great that you let the our intro song go on a little bit longer. Instead of just jumping you know? right on top yeah, of I it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's Sophie singing that, that song, it's Van Gogh. beautiful Go. voice. Van Gogh, go, 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 go. It's a go. great song. I love it. It's I hear it at night now. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. So tonight we have uh, an incredible show. Um, we tremendous. Have tremendous. Tremendous. Dr. Chris White is here. He's going to be in the studio with us in a short time. Actually, he's here now, but but we're just going to chat for a couple of minutes. He is the, he's the president and CEO of Roach Responsibility. Yeah. And for folks who don't know about Roach Responsibility, we will be talking about that. And how have you been doing over the I've past I've been week? great. I've been great. You know, things are going very well. Yeah. Um, so what are we talking about tonight? I, I'm just what? wondering, are you talking about what have we already spoken about, no. Mark? I'm just, no. Because that's a, we're going to have Don Marks on in probably about two or three months talking about Alzheimer's. I oh, see whether you remember on. that. Um, <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> nothing, nothing. When? Nothing, nothing. Okay. So what we're going to talk about tonight is we, we are going to talk about Roach Responsibility. Yes. And I just want to sort of lay a foundation for a moment about I think that's where I was Roach going. Responsibility. Uh, and, and Chris White will... will say more about it, but I just want to just talk a moment about this this fundamental brain tool that we use called theory of mind. And okay. we've spoken about this a little bit uh, before. And theory of mind in the I am approach is really the I see domain. How do I see myself and how do I think other people see me? Right. And we can't see somebody's mind. So we have to guess. We have to theorize. What are they thinking or feeling? And this is about taking perspective. So for, for any uh, folks out there who are listening who are not driving, if you were to just do this for a moment, you take your index finger and just look at your index finger, right? And close your left eye. Yeah, keep your index finger exactly where it is there in the studio. Close your left eye and look at your index finger and then close your right eye and go back and forth. What do you notice? moves it moves well it doesn't really right it does but because each of your eyes has a slightly different geographic location yeah. in the world a slightly different perspective there are seven billion perspectives how do we know what somebody is thinking or feeling right. we can't really so we have to guess you know and so what i wanted to talk about and i want to bring dr white in now is is talk about theory of mind i'll awesome. give a bit more example about how it works but i'm just curious if you first we're so glad you're here. Well, so thanks glad. for having me, Joe, Mark. You know, it's great being there. So can you tell us a little bit about Road to Responsibility? Sure. Uh, Road to Responsibility has been around for 30 years. This is our 30th anniversary wow. year. Wow. Uh, we started as a, a little mom-and-pop uh, organization doing recreation with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and we very quickly have grown to a $40 million a year enterprise wow, with six, 61 programs in over 50 locations wow. and nearly 800 employees. Wow. Okay, uh, so this is not a local organization only. I was under nope. the assumption this was local to our community. No, we're regional. We, oh, our, wow. 
We have programs from the southernmost point in Boston down to the Cape Cod Canal over to the Taunton Fall oh, River that's area. Fantastic. And we provide we 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 make lives better for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities by providing them with homes, jobs, and therapeutic day supports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but what I'm most proud of, and what I tell. I try to make it to every new orientation class for new employees. And what I tell folks all the time is, you know, that's what we do. We we do residential services of every kind that you can imagine. We have employment programs, uh, day programs, therapeutic day programs. <clears throat> but what what really transforms lives is this. Yeah. It's the interaction between the the uh, staff people of Road to Responsibility and the folks they're supporting. And what I tell folks all the time is, if you open up your heart and your mind, you will learn way more from the individuals who are supporting than you will from anything else. <clears throat> and uh, and so, so we try to real. What makes us different, I think, from most agencies is we try to combine uh, science and everything we do. Uh, we're a very data-driven organization, but we're also uh, focused on the relationships uh, mm-hmm. between everybody in the in the RTR community, uh, because we all know that uh, <clears throat> the more the more you know uh, someone else that uh, that you're interacting with on a regular basis. The more you'll, <clears throat> the more you'll understand what drives them, what they need, what they want, and you'll be able to, and as a helper and caregiver, you'll be able to help them uh, get to the, the place they need to get to, uh, and in so doing, it it enriches the staff person's life as well. It's, it's a it's a wonderfully, yeah. uh, it's a wonderfully almost symbiotic yeah. sort of uh, yeah. uh, situation, and I, I tell I tell our individuals sometimes that I I feel almost guilty because right. I get so much from uh, from working there. That's awesome. Oh, Chris, you <clears throat> you don't need to feel guilty. You've given so much, my goodness, and okay. and you have created this incredible milieu, this incredible group of people, and you know we have two two things with the I am approach. Mm-hmm. Um, one is you control no one, you influence everyone. And you've heard that before. So how does that, you control no one but influence everyone, how does that maybe become part of road responsibility? Oh, that, that is the essence of positive behavior supports, which is the underlying clinical foundation to everything that we do uh, at RTR and what uh, PBS uh, is really all about, not WGBH, right. but <laughs> um, what PBS is all about is just that, is by really getting to know people, understanding them uh, in a way that uh, others in their lives probably never have before, and then trying to engage them in a way that prevents problems and puts people in the, the best possible situation to succeed. I tell folks that your job is to be like Bill Belichick. You know, take take every interaction and try to put yourself and the individual in the place where you're most likely to succeed. Hmm. It's so true. And it's never done. Work is never done because it's so no. rewarding. Yeah. You know, small changes can have big effects as well. We're going to get to that. You control no one, you influence everyone. As we were talking about 
RTR. Our new studio manager, Ben. Yeah, I used to work for RTR back in the uh, the good old days, 2010 in my time. Wow. I think that is just incredible. It is. I mean, it's a small world. It's a small world. It's a small world. Well, thank you so much. And it was a good experience for you, I understand, Ben. We were talking uh, during ben, the break. Bill? Ben, Bill? Ben. Bill? Ben. Ben. He said Ben. Now let's talk about that all the time. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Correct, it is Ben. Yeah. And uh, yeah, worked for RTR. Uh, did some time in the human services industry overall. About 10 years all said and done. Uh, wonderful experience. Lots of wonderful people along the way. And like you were saying, it's just great to help people, you know? It is. Thank and you, that ben. And that really is... Perhaps the small change that can have a big effect. Right. Absolutely. You know, that small change of just helping someone, you know, reminding someone of their value, doing something for somebody else. And you guys have heard me say this before. Every time you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. And the brain tool that we use is theory of mind Mm -hmm. because people are really interested not just in that perspective, but they're more interested in what's your perspective of me? So let's deep dive theory of mind because it's a it's kind of a high level psych four hundred one kind of theory, isn't it? Um, it 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 is, yeah. And so yet, let's let's dumb and it yet down. Everyone is using it right all the time. But that's like everything. That's like you know, if you're if you're an expert in body language, you're going to have that uh, over somebody to understand what they're doing. But you most people don't realize yeah. at all throughout the given day what body language people although, are doing. Although you know, Mark, most of us are experts in body language. As a neuropsychologist by training, do you know that 93% of all the information you're taking in now is nonverbal? What right. I, what Joe and I are doing with our hands, our right. facial expressions, and so where th- theory of mind comes in is that means that you know our words are only counting for about 7% of what's filtering in so that means the other person is reading us and sometimes coming up with accurate uh, conclusions other times not so much Uh, during the break we were talking a little bit about folks on the autistic spectrum not so good at at reading facial expressions and being able to put themselves in the perspective of others and so that's one of the things we try to teach at RTR uh, is working with our folks uh, uh, on the autistic spectrum, is is letting them learn what this facial expression right. means. You know, getting them to practice uh, variations of facial expressions so they can see it in themselves and then uh, see it in other people. Yeah, and by doing that, it helps transform them. Yeah, it really does. It's it, it's so it's something that comes naturally to the vast majority of people. But you can learn it like right. you can learn an instrument. And I don't know if you noticed this, uh, Chris, but, but when you said about, you know, 93% is body language, and uh, Mark, you know, just crossed his hands <laughs> and put his hands together. <laughs> like, well, like, you're not going to read anything of my body. Well, he's surrounded. <laughs> shut it down right now. <laughs> exactly. So, so let me explain a little bit my take on theory of mind. And it starts really... Uh, when I was finishing medical school. And I didn't know anything about this theory of mind. As a matter of fact, this was, uh, well, when was that? It was um, 1990, and theory of mind was was sort of just beginning to come into the literature. They'd known a little bit about it in the 70s, 80s, but, but it really, people weren't really looking at it very much. It was confined really to to autism, and we knew that folks with autism didn't have this. So, 
here's how I first started to think about it. Um, I was finishing medical school in Cincinnati, and my wife Carol and I were going to drive from Cincinnati 16 hours to Hartford, Connecticut, where I was going to start my adult psychiatry residency. Uh, at the time, Carol was pregnant with our second child, but our first child, Sophie, was 14 months old. Now, theory of mind is meant to emerge around the age of 18 months. Gotcha. If it's not in place by the age of three or four, people like us, uh, Dr. White and I, we worry that this person may have some form of autism because yeah. it is the core component, the core deficit, if you will, in all autistic spectrum. So 14 months, my Sophie is there, and she's sitting in her car seat strapped in the front of the car, you know, because we've got this flatbed front seat of the U-Haul. So I'm driving, Sophie's in her car seat, and Carol, her mom, is sitting right next to her. And to let, you know, to keep Sophie entertained on this 16-hour drive from Cincinnati to Hartford, we let Sophie eat lollipops. Now, my wife mm -hmm. Carol and I argue about this next point, about how many lollipops. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, and uh, Carol says it's two lollipops. Yeah. But I thought that really after the fifth lollipop, we were still not out of Ohio. Yeah. And I said to my daughter, Sophie, my 14-month-old, sitting right next to me, I said, Sophie, no more lollipops. Sophie looks at me. She turns and looks at her mother. Mm -hmm. She takes another lollipop. She unwraps it. And simultaneously, with one hand, she puts it in her mouth, and with the other hand, puts her hands over her eyes. Hmm. Interesting. That's awesome. Sitting right next to me. I love it. Right next to her mother and I. Because you didn't so, exist. That's right. So what's happened here, right? If she can't see us, we can't see her. Right. Yep. So perspective taking, perfectly normal at 14 months of age. She had not developed the ability to take somebody else's point of view. Uh, as I was going through my residency, theory of mind was really exploding into the literature. And Linda Mays, psychiatrist out at Yale, had developed this really simple test to determine if a kid had developed theory of mind. And what she did was she would chat with a kid she was examining, you know, three, four years old, maybe, uh, and they would have a one-way mirror room. And in the other room, there were two boxes, a red box and a blue box. And Dr. Mays would ask the kid she was examining, what do you see in that room? I see a red box and a blue box. Great. Yeah. The kid knows their shapes, their colors. How old is the great. kid? Right? How old is the kid? So well, the kid can be three years old, four years old, okay. two years okay. old. This is exactly what we're wondering, right? Yeah. How old yeah. do you have to be to develop theory of mind? So, you know, some kids are quite verbal. At, I mean, Sophie was, 14 months, right. mm -hmm. 18 months. They certainly know their colors. They know their shapes. So she's examining this kid. Uh, as she's chatting with the kid, a little boy comes into that room with the two boxes, opens up the red box, takes a piece of candy, puts it in the box, closes the box, and leaves. And you ask the kid you're examining, where's the candy? It's in the red box. Right. The kid knows their shapes, some colors, a little bit of object permanence. It's great chatting with this kid you're examining, and a little girl comes into that first room. Little girl takes the candy out of the red box and puts it 
in the blue box, closes both boxes and leaves. You ask the kid you're examining, where's the candy now? It's in the blue box, right? The kid knows their shapes, their colors, object permanence, and then you ask the question, the critical question, to determine if the child you're examining has developed theory of mind. And you ask that child, when that first little boy comes back into the room, where will they look for the candy? So where will they look? Where they put it. The red box. Right, the red yep. box, because you have theory of mind. Right. But if the little kid says, yeah, <laughs> right, that's exactly. Me, that's me every week. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if that kid says the blue box, yeah. then it's the same as Sophie putting her hand over her eyes right. and eating a lollipop. Yeah. Okay, so, so that kid is not developed through your mind. So this is true. So I told Sophie this whole thing, you know, and I tested Sophie. When she was the eating thing. the lollipop? She was now four, uh, months, four years old. At okay. this point, she was four years old. I'd read the study. Okay. And she was four years old, and I said, you know, okay, here's the whole thing. So, you know, when the first kid comes in the room, over, they look for the candy? Yeah. And my four-year-old says, well, you know, Dad, I've read Linda Mays' work. I'm not always <laughs> impressed with some of her statistical uh, analysis. I, I sent them her design studies a little full, but, but obviously, you know, Dad, you know, they're going to look in the, the first box, the red box. Yeah. And then she said, and this is true, though. She got the red box right away. But then she said to me, Dad, that's not what's important. Okay. I said, oh, well, what's important? She said, what kind of candy yeah, was yeah. it? You know, I mean, that's <laughs> a four-year-old. That's what's important. So here's, here's the question. Uh, years later, I'm, I'm writing, beginning to write this book called Do You Really Get Me, mm -hmm. which was all about theory of mind. And I started to wonder... Wait, why did Sophie cover her eyes at all? Why did my 14-month-old cover her eyes so that I and her mother would disappear so she could eat her lollipop in peace? And it occurred to me, she covered her eyes because even though she couldn't take my perspective, she knew that I had a perspective of her. And I started to think about this. I realized that sort of from an evolutionary point of view, it makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Millions of years ago, it was much more important to know if someone was looking at me as their lunch than if they were hungry. The first thing is I need to know what you think about me and am I safe? And later, do I want to share my lollipop with you? So that's part of what I w wondered from your point, Chris. What do you think about our folks in RTR? Because full disclosure, you know, I, I, I also have the great honor and privilege of working with these folks as the medical director. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Do we have folks who may not be able to take our perspective but oh. are keenly interested in how we treat them, what they think, we think about them? Absolutely. Yeah. That, a, great many of, a great many of folks in that position, I think. Yeah. Because yeah, we serve the entire array of uh, people with developmental disabilities, and so for certain we do. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I think, I think that's part of why it's so important the way our staff treats them, works with them, begins to understand <clears throat> them, because they know. They know how you treat them. You can see it. And they are more... I, I tell the again the orientation classes every time uh, that you the staff are the most important people in in our clients lives for however long you're working there 
And so they are going to be so tuned in to every facial expression that you have that you need to sort of compose yourself right. before you come on shift right. and leave whatever baggage you have at yep. the door. Because if, if someone, you know, gave you a one-finger salute as you're driving into work and you're coming in with a storm cloud hanging over your head, the individuals are going to see you being upset and they're going to say, oh, my God. Why are you mad at me? Right. Uh, because, what did I do? Yeah, that's it. Because they're not going to know how you got there. Right. Exactly. You know, they're not going to know because they have the first part of theory of mind. What do you think about me? But I don't know how you got there. So if you come in looking angry, it must be something that I did. And you've been involved with that for how long? From the get-go. From the wow. get-go. From before we were RTR, I've been involved. That's incredible. I've been working in these programs in one capacity or another since 1984. Wow. How did you get interested in this? Uh, it's, um, it's a little embarrassing because it's so flippin' selfish. Great. Um, <laughs> so I had, I, I had been working uh, with veterans at the Brockton VA Hospital for a couple of years uh, while I was getting my bachelor's degree, and I had uh, worked in a what they call the halfway house in those days for people with chronic mental illness. Although now many of the people that I worked with back in from 1980 to 1984 in that halfway house are now part of RTR because they were actually intellectually disabled too. I think that's right. And I thought you were going to say that they were in Congress. Nope. So <laughs> I've literally grown up with some of these uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, presidency. Forget that. Can <laughs> we, can we like that? Just... There's no delay anymore. I'm sorry. No delay. We talked right, about but, that. Uh, but anyways, so, uh, and so I started at uh, what was then uh, South Shore Industries run by St. Clair's of Massachusetts. And uh, fresh scrubbed. I had just gotten my master's from Harvard, and I knew I wanted to get a, uh, go on for my doctorate. And I'm thinking, okay, it's really hard, really competitive to get into doctoral programs. And so maybe if I work with folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities, then I'll be able to show veterans, chronic yeah. mental illness, yeah. and IDD all at once. And that would help me get in. Completely selfish. Walk in the first day scared out of my mind. Because when I was growing up, I literally never met a person Interesting. with an intellectual or developmental disability. Wow. As back back in those days, and uh, Joe, no. we're close in age. The uh, the the kids with special needs, right. they were either in institutions right. still, That's or right. or in the back of the classroom. So I would literally only see kids with special needs as the teachers would be shooing them off the playground, so that the typical students could go out. And so, but it didn't take long. I, I fell in love with these guys the uh you know a, a weekend i'm like wow this is my place hmm. and i i stayed with them through my uh through my graduate school years and and in 1988 we uh the organization that was uh operating the group of programs that uh that i was now uh head of i i had been worked my way up to be uh, Vice President of Adult Services with that organization, um, they decided that it was the Bush one recession. They couldn't uh, continue with the very poorly funded uh, adult service programs, so they decided they were getting out of that business. 
In the meantime, my predecessor in that position had started this little mom-and-pop road to responsibility. And I had uh, uh, myself and a couple of my co-workers who are still with me uh, at RTR, we had, uh, we had tried to put together our own nonprofit, but this didn't have enough time to do it. So I called uh, my predecessor, Rick Walker, and I said, Rick, would you be open to having these programs slide into Road to Responsibility? And uh, that, that's how it happened. And the proviso was the state would allow that as long as I stayed uh, in charge running it and uh, Sue Powers, who was running the residential, as long as Sue Powers stayed there as well. And uh, and so overnight we became uh, Road to Responsibility became a multi-million dollar uh, agency, uh, and there was some severe growing pains, and we didn't get paid for a few months mm -hmm. uh, in the early days. But uh, we kept it all going, and uh, and it and it has grown to what it is today. How do you first? I, I have so many questions with this. First, what was what was the passion? What was so appealing about this group? What, what got sparked in you? Um, the people we serve are far and away the bravest human beings I've ever known. Hmm. They have to overcome more just getting out of bed in the morning than most of us do in our lives. Hmm. And they do it with uh, courage and a level of honesty that is frankly lacking in mm. most other social situations. Mm. You know, one of the one of the really cool tricks about having intact theory of mind is that you play the game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the social niceties uh, get built in and so people wear masks all the time. Mm. And so the guys I work with, uh, if the mask is on at all, it gets flipped off really <laughs> right, fast. Right. That's so <laughs> and, true. And they and and I just love that about them. Yeah. And seeing the seeing folks who are just so driven to get to the same places that I want to be. That's what, you know, as a twenty four year old kid, not knowing anything about much of anything uh, except stuff that was in books. I, I was just blown away. It's like, wow, these guys are just like me. Yeah. They want to mm -hmm. be loved. Yeah. They want they want to have jobs that they like. They want to live in a comfortable place. Right. Yeah. What the well, hell? They <laughs> want to be valued. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like all of us. Yep. And the idea that, that we would segregate one group into another is still mind-boggling to me. We, we, have a, we have a first caller. Ed Machado, you are on the air, Ed. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Hi, Chris. Oh, hi, Ed. How you doing? Oh, you see what I get? He's always sleeping. So, Ed, what's on your mind? What, what do you think about oh, all I this? Just, I just wanted to say hi, Ed. Oh, no, yeah, hi, Ed. That's me. Uh, <laughs> hi, uh, Chris. Uh, I just wanted to say hi, Ed. You're so... Uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Thanks for calling, Ed. We really, really appreciate that. I'm so glad you're listening. That's, that's yeah, just great. I, uh, I do the telephone for them. You do? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how long? Six, 16 years I do the telephone. 
Yep, Ed's Ed's been a receptionist for us at at our Plymouth location for 16 years. Oh wow! Yeah, that is just great. Ed, thanks so much for calling, Chris. Anything else you want to say to Ed? Well, just thanks for calling, Ed, and I'll probably be seeing you tomorrow. I'll be down in Plymouth. <laughs> great. Oh, gee, you're gonna be here tomorrow, oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks, Ed. Thanks, thanks for Ed. calling. That's awesome. So, Roach responsibility. Where did the inspiration for the name come from? I, I can't claim to know that. Okay. I, I know it was uh, developed by the founders of the organization, the uh, the Walkers. And, uh, well, that makes sense. And, there'd be and Walkers we, and there'd be a road in this. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and, but we have, we have wrestled with that name, though. Because, Why is that? Well, because it doesn't exactly tell what we do. And unfortunately, and... Even my mother does this sometimes. <laughs> okay. She will call us Road to Recovery. Uh, and it's like, oh, my, you are killing me. Uh, I <laughs> yeah. can see the mistake. Yeah. Easily slips off the tongue. That's a whole different thing. I have a question for you, though. Okay. I mean, so at what age are they eligible to be a participant in your program? The youngest it, person we've served has been at 18. Okay. Typically, folks start with us at age 22. Got 22 it. is when they're out of the school system. Okay, okay. Uh, and then we serve them through their lifespan. Okay. So the youngest person we're serving now is 19, and our oldest gentleman just turned 95. Oh, oh my wow. goodness. Yeah. That's, That's incredible. And, and you know what is so cool? When I was going to graduate school, the average lifespan for a person with developmental disabilities was about 40. Well, that's oh, what I remember, wow. right? And and now the lifespan is virtually the same oh, fantastic. As, as for the typical population. And because what, people yeah. are getting valued. Okay. They've, they've awesome. been moved out of warehouses yeah. and put awesome. into the community where they're connected. It's that simple. It, well, if you look, look it up, the number one predictor of longevity it's not your body mass right. index. It's not how much you exercise. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it's how connected yeah. are you to yeah. other yeah. people. It's so true, isn't it? Yeah. So Joe's going to live till about <laughs> 200. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we all will. We're so connected here. You know, we had this rare opportunity. The band is there in the studio who actually was working with these folks. You want to chime in with a, a story about your experience? Sure. Um, be definitely be happy to go ahead and tell you guys a little something. Uh, one of the first houses I ever got a chance to work with, and uh, it was an RTR, but mm -hmm. um, I, I won't name it. Um, the individual was actually a 46-year-old lady, and um, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out, you know, just meeting them out of the blue, not really knowing anything, have experience being a staff prior to this. It took going through history files and just whatever we had available until I finally sitting there one night doing an overnight had the, uh, the realization this individual once lived at a place where there was more testing done than living hmm. and where being a human being was not a valued commodity. And so just to see the transformation, even just in written notes and paper and looking through all the time and then realizing here we are the day of and it's like, I understand. I know where you're coming from and no one will ever do that kind of stuff again. And that's the feeling that a lot of the staff that I knew when I first got into the industry, they showed me. They said, look, you can call it a job if you want, 
but you are now an integral part of this family. Yeah. And if you want to stay here and help people, the door is right there for you to do so. But the second it stops being about the effort of love and just validation and helping these folks reach the highest points in life that they can, there you go. Yeah. So lo wonderful life lessons learned. And I learned much more about myself and my fellow human beings on this earth after working in the field and just invaluable experience. You know, we often said folks that were looking to have kids someday should really consider doing some volunteer work or getting down to a residential group home and helping out. Yeah. You know, and, and that's exactly the kind of thing people can give back they don't even realize. Uh, there's so many wonderful programs that RTR offer that people can get involved, and it's just it's a beautiful thing when they do. Well, mm. thank you, Ben. That's so true. It is true, and, and it, is, it is remarkable how quickly you can become an integral part of somebody's life. The fact that when I was growing up, the average life expectancy of, of an individual like this was, was in their 40s, and now it's doubled in such a short period of time. I can't imagine that that's happened in any other um, human, you know, group of community of people ever. And it's because of how they are treated. And it, I mean, it makes complete sense, but it's, it's still so mind-blowing that that is actually a, a fact. Yeah. It, <clears throat> and it's, it is awesome to see every yeah. day. We, We've got a lot of gray hair yeah. <laughs> at RTR, and uh, uh, but to to see the guys and I, I had mentioned off air that our oldest person just turned ninety five, and he still goes to work. Uh -huh. He he wants he gets up he wants to go to work every day. I love it. He never misses. It's unbelievable, but he feels so purposeful. Yeah, in that that he feels important. Right. And all of his friends are there. You know, I, I, I'm trying not to get too global about this, but isn't this such an important concept? You treat people with respect. Yeah. You value them. You make sure that they know they're important. They can do anything. I mean, yeah. if anything, it's a case study on humanity. I it mean, if that, is. if if. If it's that simple to take somebody's life expectancy right. and double it right. just by valuing them, right? come on, people. Pay yeah. attention. So, yeah. what, so what's stopping us? So one of the things that, that's been in the news uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that's part of why I really hoped you would come on the air, is the, the idea that these folks with these severe challenges are being exploited, harassed, but sexually exploited as well. Yeah, it's, it is Any an comments abomination. On that? Um, it, <clears throat> I really struggle uh, to wrap my mind around that, and you know, thank thank God that uh, nothing like that's ever happened at RTR, and we and you know, and frankly, the sister agencies we have around uh, around the state work really hard to make sure that. Uh, the folks we support and care about so much are safe, uh, but the sad reality is that that folks are vulnerable. Yes. They they do not have the uh, same awareness of potential threats, and and unfortunately too, a lot of times the potential threats are the people who they should never have to fear. Right. And. Uh, um, uh, and if you look at the professional literature about it, 
uh, the, some of the studies are really jarring. There's a study back in 1991 uh, that cited 52% Mm. of uh, the adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities had experienced, that they sampled, had experienced some level of sexual abuse. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, today you'll see ranges between, I've seen as low as 3%, which seems too low, uh, given the prevalence of sexual abuse just across the right. population, right. Uh, uh, to as high as uh, 40%. So what's going through the mind of the sociopath that's doing that, Dr. Joe? I mean, is that is that a, a concept that they're they won't say anything? Okay, I think so. I I, I think so. I think there's there's a horrible awareness of the limitation of the person that they are taking advantage right. of, yeah. and the idea that well, this person has limited language skills. Right. And so they're not going to... Or they're not maybe trustworthy exactly. for when they finally do say something. Right. It's your word against mine. Right. That's what thing. predators do. They yeah. look for opportunities. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. awful. I mean, I, I, I remember being involved in, in a case where a person with autism had been abused and the defense for the person who had abused them. And this was just the most outrageously cynical and sinister. They said, well, they're delayed anyway. Oh. So is it really gonna hurt them? I mean, they said- That was the defense? Wow. If a person is blind and you expose yourself to them, have you really done damage? Oh. Isn't that just like mind-blowing? Yeah. So- It's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing. Yeah. And unfortunately, human beings are really good at reminding someone of their value using theory of mind, but we're also really good at the opposite. Right, we yeah. are really good at devaluing and dehumanizing, and unfortunately, that is part of what happens even in our world today. Yeah. And, and groups like Roach Responsibility, I think, are a beacon, a shining example of how simple it is just to do something different that small change, look at the big effect right. of that small change. Right. You know? And we can do it all the time. We can do it anywhere. We can do it every day. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing it throughout this country, That's throughout right. the world. So at what point in time in the era did they did people start to become more aware? And I mean, it wasn't the 70s. Was it the early 80s, mid 80s, where they Probably. started to immerse them into the schools more and yeah. all that it was when the it was when the institutions effectively closed where they stopped taking new kids in okay. and and where the public school and public schools have honestly done the most for this yeah. any other segment of our society um, because you know because they've learned and adapted to meet the needs of kids with immensely diverse uh, uh, diverse needs and skill sets and and have been able to keep them in the schools long enough so that our kids have gotten to know folks with disabilities right. thus growing up mm -hmm. and, so and enrich now, their lives by and, it and now they see them as fellow humans right. as opposed to them do you, exactly do you think we should perhaps wonder about getting away from the, the word disability and just say different ability that that is a 
that is a good a good perspective joe you know because once we're so good at lumping mm. and you know I, again, I, I know that we, we may say these things with absolutely no malintent, yeah. but it, it has this slow, erosive component. So, yeah. you know you know me, Chris. I mean, sure. I, I don't use words like disorder. Yeah. I use words condition. But I think that, you know, we're, we're right on the cusp of being able to do something pretty amazing, and words are going to be important. They, they are incredibly important. That's why self-advocates worked for over 20 years and finally got the state to change the name of the agency that oversees them from the Department of Mental Retardation to the Department of Developmental uh, Disabilities uh, because that was uh, the, the term mental retardation was anathema to them. Right. right, and maybe we'll get to developmental differences. Yeah. Maybe we'll get there. Different well. abilities. Yeah, exactly. But it is true, and our guys... Mm -hmm. They have shown me every day folks that I never would have imagined being able to work. That's right. Now having jobs. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and growing in the jobs. Yep. Not just staying as a bagger right. or, you know, staying uh, clean, you know, cleaning up a small area of a store. They're growing and taking on more. Uh, uh, more skilled opportunities. Yep. It's just the coolest thing. And they're learning and they're proud yeah. Yeah. and they they are accomplished. And that for me is the most incredible thing. It is one of the greatest honors and privileges to be working with these folks. It, right. it truly is. I it's bet. just remarkable, remarkable, right. amazing. So Chris, I want to thank you so much for coming in. We have so much more that we could talk about. So I hope at some point Maybe you'll come back and we can talk more about yeah, this. Yeah, maybe we bring Ed in. Right? I would love to. You know, Let's bring great. Ed into the studio. He That'd be sounded great. like he had a huge and, and, personality. And just, just so folks know, MCTV, we've got uh, Cup of Joe. the Cup of Joe show, which yeah. is RTR. Correct. Uh, oh, cool. Joe Kelly, who yeah. is one of my great friends, and he does his own show. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. And he does a great job interviewing folks. He does. Folks, we'll, we'll speak with you next week. Bye, folks. Vincent Van Gogh, cut off his ear.